News Talk 580 CFRA presents the Employment Law Show with employment lawyer Alex Luchafero. And uh, welcome to it. It is 707-707. We are a live show, as always, on Tuesday. Ready for your calls. Bring them on. 613-521-TALK is the, uh, the number. You have questions about employment law, maybe for yourself or a, a friend, family member even. Maybe it's a question about COVID-19. Maybe you're going back to work. Maybe you're on a temporary layoff still. That's okay. Bring it on. Alex is here to answer all your calls. Again, phone lines are open. 613-521-TALK. We'll get to those. Some emails. That email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the topic for today is, well, what employers should never do. We'll get to that here in just a bit. But we always start, pal, with uh, something that's going on in the in your office the, uh, the week that was. What's, uh, what's happening? Hey, Johnny, thanks very much. Great to be yeah. here, ready to go for another edition of the Employment Law Show. Uh, never a dull moment in the world of, uh, of employment law, uh, John, as, as you might have heard and as our listeners might have heard uh, yesterday and today. Uh, just this past Friday, the provincial government announced a, uh, a new regulation uh, mm-hmm. changing the application of some of the layoff and, and pay provisions of the Employment Standards Act. Uh, in Ontario, and, and quite frankly, that new regulation is causing a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty uh, for both employers and, and employees, for that matter, about these new changes. But listen, that's okay, John. That's what we're here for, right? I mean, we've been saying mm-hmm. on this show for years and years now, the reason why we do this show, the reason why we speak to so many people every day, the reason why we take calls both on the radio and, and in the office and answer all sorts of employment questions is to inform people on what their employment rights are, uh, to bust employment law myths, to set the record straight when it comes to your workplace. And so that's what we're going to do with this new regulation. We're going to set the record straight. We'll talk about it uh, in a couple of minutes. And uh, certainly if, if any employees out there are listening and their employers have mentioned this new regulation to them or they've mentioned that their layoffs are now extended or that their pay cuts are becoming permanent, please call into the show. It's an extremely important topic. Uh, lots of other listeners out there are going to be having the exact same questions. And again, it's important that we talk about these issues um, um, both on the air uh, and in the office. And so we're going to be talking about that, lots of other uh, employment situations, workplace problems, whether they're mm-hmm. COVID-related or, or not COVID-related. Uh, that's all happening. People are being let go from their jobs, unfortunately. Uh, as you mentioned, layoffs are still happening. And listen, whether you want to email us privately, uh, call us at the office, give us a call right now. Again, whatever the issue is, let's talk about it. The more information you have as an employee or as an employer, the more protected you're going to be. Uh, and so give us a call um, so that we can chat. Um, first matter, John, a week that was talk, uh, talking about a couple of matters that came across my desk this week. I did want to talk about the, about the mm-hmm. regulation. And so let's get yeah. into it a little bit while, sure. we have, uh, while we have time. So... This new regulation is an amendment to the provisions of the Employment Standards Act okay. in Ontario, and it applies specifically only to the Employment Standards Act. And that's a it's a very important point and an important distinction. Uh, and the reason why is because in Ontario, we basically have two levels or two different categories of protections when it comes to employment law. We have an employee's minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act, so minimum employment protections, things like minimum wage, vacation, also minimum severance entitlements, Uh, and there are some provisions in the Employment Standards Act about temporary layoffs. 
Uh, we also have an employee's full protections, what we call an employee's common law protections. These are the protections that provide for full severance. They're the protections that say that an employer cannot lay off an employee temporarily. That's a, what we call a constructive dismissal, meaning the employee could refuse the temporary layoff and obtain severance. And, and I want to make clear that this regulation does not change an employee's full common law severance right. and layoff protections. So that full layer of protection that we talk about week in and week out and that we refer to all the time, those employment laws have not changed in any way whatsoever, which means that for the vast majority of employees out there, if you've been temporarily laid off, you do have the right to choose uh, to refuse that layoff, consider it a permanent termination, and obtain your severance entitlements. And that might be something that's actually worth exercising and worth uh, pursuing, especially now if that layoff is going to be uh, for an undetermined period of time. And I'll explain how that is in a sec. But again, I want to make clear right off the bat, straight, in, in a straightforward way off the top of the show, uh, you know, the employment laws in Ontario have not changed when it comes to your full uh, entitlements, when it comes to your common law entitlements, and I'll be using that word a lot. It has changed, however, when it comes to an employee's minimum entitlements or their mm -hmm. entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. If your employment is, is governed by the minimum terms in the Employment Standards Act, meaning if you have an employment contract and for, again, employees out there, th this is important stuff. If you have your employment contract saved somewhere, whether it's online, on your computer, uh, or, or a hard copy somewhere, go have a look at your employment contract. There might be stuff in there that actually uh, limits what you can do with respect to these current situations when it comes to layoffs and pay cuts. If your employment contracts contract uh, allows the company to temporarily lay you off, or if it allows uh, an employer to let you go by paying you only your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act when it comes to termination and severance pay. So if, again, if there's language in there that limits an employee's options to the minimums under the Employment Standards Act, you now fall under this new regulation. And that regulation says that uh, a layoff uh, becomes a leave of absence and is indeterminate, meaning uh, under the Employment Standards Act previously, there were specific limits when it came yep. to temporary layoffs. You were only allowed to be laid off for a period of either 35 weeks or 13 weeks. Those limits are now gone, uh, and they're replaced basically uh, by a provision that says that the layoff can last as long as six weeks after the end of, of the emergency order in the province of Ontario, which can be who knows when. It could be August, could be uh, September, uh, and it could be any point in the future, quite frankly. Uh, it also allows an employer to cut your pay without any recourse or without any option of, let's say, filing a complaint with the Ministry of Labor. But again, I want to be clear that this will only apply to a small pool of employees whose terms of employment are limited to the Employment Standards Act. So again, for all of our employees out there, have a look at your contracts. If there's nothing in there that limits you to the minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act, uh, you don't have to follow this new regulation. You still have your full protections under the common law. So before we just take our first break here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a second answer to this. Why, why did they bother doing this? 
If it only affects so few people, why do you think they implemented this? It's an excellent question, John. I mean, I, I think there was some legitimate. I'll give the, the, the provincial government the benefit of doubt in saying mm-hmm. uh, there there were a kind of a huge round of layoffs coming up in the middle of June because uh, a vast majority of employees were laid off in the middle of March when the the emergency order was first implemented, and and lots and lots of employees were laid off, and that and the middle of June would have been the end of that 13 week period, the end of that three month period for temporary layoffs. And there is some rationale for extending that period. But I don't think, in my opinion at least, the answer wasn't to extend it indefinitely, uh, kind of unforeseeably into the future. That creates too much uncertainty. An employee's not going to wait around forever for their previous job, right? They've got to pay their bills as as well, and the CERB isn't going to cut it. Um, So what they should have done potentially is extended it maybe by a month. You know, instead of 13 weeks, it's maybe 17 weeks or something along those lines where there's a clear end date. But just, you know, extending it, you know, indefinitely like this, in my opinion, wasn't the right answer. It's actually going to create more disputes between employers and employees than it's going to actually solve. Gotcha. Yeah. Let's take our uh, first quick break here, give you a chance to reload, grab a phone, and uh, give us a call. If that has you all confused or any other employment matter for yourself or otherwise, please call. Get some answers. Don't stay in the dark. 613-521-TALK. 613-521-TALK. The email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And we're going to move on to what employers should never do. Those talking points are on the way as well. Employment Law Show News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to the Employment Law Show with employment lawyer Alex Luchaferro on News Talk 580 CFRA. 720 and welcome back to it. Phone lines open. Yeah, 613-521-TALK. 613-521-TALK. You want to talk about your job. You want to talk about new regulations, severance, being laid off, COVID-19. Bring it on. We covered all here on the show until just before uh, 8 o'clock. Getting right into this, what employers should never do. You know, we, we sometimes take flack in the show saying we always talk about the employee. We always come down on the employer. But no, no, I know f- at least 50% of your business, Alex, that you do is dealing with and helping and giving the heads up to employers. Uh, perspective ones or otherwise heading into hiring new employees and setting them up with properly drafted employment agreements so they can protect themselves if their business goes sour, all that stuff. So that's part of the reason why we want to do this list, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right, uh, uh, John. I mean, uh, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we, we field calls and questions from uh, from employers, you know, basically mm-hmm. on a daily basis, uh, helping employers out, and particularly in this situation with COVID nineteen, yeah. um, and you know, as I mentioned, with this new regulation and all the other issues that have come up, CERB, the the subsidy program, uh, all of that. I, I mean, employers are just so overwhelmed uh, with the difficult choices that they have to make in running their businesses. It's normal that they're going to need that kind of advice, and the truth is that we see a lot of the same questions and issues come up with respect to employers and with respect to the issues that employers struggle with. And so these are just a few of those uh, of those uh, items, and most of them at this point are, are kind of non-COVID uh, related um, because we've talked so much at length about COVID-19 and how that's impacted yeah. the workplace on the show. So I wanted to talk about talk about a couple of these issues again that we see on a regular basis that employers continue to struggle with uh, despite the fact that you know we've been kind of preaching about these subjects for for mm-hmm. so long on the show 
So let's uh, get right into it. Uh, what employers should never do. By the way, you want to chime in any time during this and the remainder of the show, 613-521-TALK. We're live, ready for your calls. Employers should never assume that severance is one or two weeks per year. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when it comes to, to, to let it, having to let an employee go, uh, again, a lot of employers will reach out to us and say, hey, this is the situation. We've decided to let this employee go. Uh, and the usual remark we, we receive is, you know, what do we owe this person? Is it one week yeah. per year or is it two weeks per year? We're not sure which it is. Yep. And, and so right off the bat, they're coming to this, they're coming to us with this misconception that severance is only ever one or two weeks per year of service for, for an employee when that's in fact not the case at all. The reality is that more often than not, you're going to owe an employee several months uh, of severance based upon their age, position, and years of service. Uh, and that's likely going to be way more than one or two weeks per year of service in, in lots of those cases. Let's take as an example, you know, a 50-year-old uh, laborer who has 10 years of service with a company. Again, an employer will come to us and say, well, what do we owe this person? Is it about eight weeks or maybe it's 10 weeks, one week per year of service? And we have to advise this employer, well, no, that's not the case at all. That employer might be owed as much as 10 months as severance pay, not 10 weeks. And and obviously, an employer is shocked to hear that, but that's the way the law actually works. It's what we call your common law entitlements, your, your, your common law severance based upon an employee's age, position, and years of service. The more... Uh, the longer they've worked for the same company, the older they are, and the more specialized or senior their position, the more severance an employee uh, is going to get. And so a, an employer should never uh, offer or assume that severance is going to be one or two weeks per year of service, because the reality is if they make that offer to the employee, they're asking for trouble. They're asking for an employment lawyer to become involved and for negotiations to take place, and that just becomes more time-consuming, more expensive. Yeah. You want to be putting your time and efforts towards your business and not towards having to negotiate an employee's severance entitlement. So if you make a reasonable severance offer off the bat – Having mm -hmm. consulted an employment lawyer initially before you even make that initial offer, you're saving yourself a huge headache in terms of whatever trouble could come from making a very low offer. Good call. The uh, number 613-521-TALK. The line is open, 613-521-TALK. As we uh, get going through the evening here, you can call anytime with employment matters, whether it's a personal matter. Or for a friend or a colleague, we'll get to that. And what employers should never do, more of those talking points. But want to uh, always give our phones top priority. And in that regard, I want to bounce over to uh, to Christine here in Ottawa. Christine, thanks for uh, thanks for calling in. How are you tonight? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great. What's uh, what's on your mind? Um, so four years ago this month, my husband got sick. Um, he had meningitis. He ended up in the hospital. And we kept getting told he was going to get better. And so we told his work, and they said, no problem, when he could come back, he could come back. They paid out his vacation. Um, and finally, last year, the doctors told us um, what side effects he still has he's going to be left with, so he just can't work. Um, so we told his employer that, and they just said, okay, thanks. Um, he'd worked for them for 28-plus years. Um wow. And my father-in-law believes that he's entitled to severance, and we didn't know, so we're not sure. 
Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so is it the case, Christine, that, that your husband is, is simply never going to be able to work again in any capacity whatsoever? Probably not. Okay. Okay. And so if that is the case, if it's the case that, you're, that it's confirmed that it is a doctor's opinion that there is no chance whatsoever in the future that he's going to be able to work again, uh, then the company would have the right to end the employment relationship. It's what we call a frustration of contract, meaning through no fault of the company's or no fault of your husband's for that matter, and because your husband is never going to be able to work again, the employment relationship basically cannot continue. There's no chance of it ever uh, you know, uh, uh, continuing in the future because of his medical situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they are allowed to end the relationship. But you're right to point out, or at least your father-in-law, I think you said, is right to point out that, yes, an employee in that situation, so an employee whose uh, employment has employment contract has been frustrated because of a medical disability is owed their minimum termination and severance pay entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. So, in other words, they're not owed their full severance entitlements like uh, like a typical employee would okay. be in the event that they were uh, let go. So it's not going to be a severance analysis based on an employee's, or on, on your husband's for that matter, age, position, and years of service. Um, okay. It's not going to be that. It is going to be their minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. Would you be able to tell me, Christine, uh, the, his employer, and you don't have to name the employer, but I'm just curious, do you know if it's a rather large organization? Would they have, let's say, approximately 50 employees or more in Ontario? Oh, yes. It's a very large multinational company. Mm-hmm. With, with a big pre- presence in the province? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So if that's the case, your your husband as a 28-year employee, which is remarkable, um, would be entitled to basically the maximum that you can ever get under the Employment Standards Act, which is 34 weeks of pay. So 34 weeks of pay is effectively uh, what he should receive as a severance package if he is deemed Again, by his medical, by a medical professional, not not because you say so or he says so, but yeah. if, if it is a medical professional's opinion that he'll never be able to work again, he should receive those minimum entitlements of 34 weeks from the employer at this point in time, especially if it's been four years already. Okay. Um, and how do we go about asking the employer for those? Because we didn't know about them when we met with them last year to say he can't come back to work. What happened? Sure. Yeah. Well, the first thing you have to do is, is, is again, get that uh, evidence or that, you know, that medical note from your doctor. So you need to show your employer something that says, or your husband's employer something that says that he is medically unable to work. That's step number one. At that point, you can approach the company and say, hey, guys, he's never coming back again. Here's a recent uh, medical note that confirms that at this point, we'd like to consider the employment relationship at an end, and I believe we're owed severance. And then the ball's in their court. All right, Christine, we're going to leave it at that. Uh, we just got to take a, a short break here. I want you to reach out after the show to Alex. Yeah, I'm sure you have more questions. Do it. one 855 821 Christine, is that number? one 821 5900, but to call in for the remainder of this show, live show, 613-521-TALK, 613-521-TALK, Employment Law Show, right here, News Talk 580, CFRA. Now back to the Employment Law Show with employment lawyer Alex Luchafero on News Talk 580, CFRA. 
And we are right back at it. Yeah, it is 7.35. Still time for you to call this radio show as we are on air till uh, just close to uh, to 8 o'clock at 613-521-TALK. You have employment matters or job matters you want to uh, discuss, get some questions answered, do it. And we'll uh, get right back to this, what employers should never do. Next one is this, employers should never ignore allegations of workplace harassment or bullying. Big time. Yeah, that's right, uh, John. And we, we could even tie in something that's COVID-related here, which is employers should, you know, not only never ignore allegations of workplace harassment, but also never ignore uh, refusals to work in the workplace because of health and safety issues. And that's a topic that we're seeing pretty often. And let me address both. So, uh, an employer in Ontario uh, has two really, really fundamental key obligations when it comes to its employees. And they should be obvious, but they're worth noting. Number one, uh, an employer has the obligation uh, to maintain a workplace that is free from harassment or bullying. So employees have the right to be treated with dignity and respect in the workplace. Uh, employers cannot foster uh, or they cannot ignore uh, disputes and workplace harassment issues in the workplace. Otherwise, they're asking for trouble. And so when an employee comes to an employer and, and uh, has uh, and uh, hears issues of or allegations of harassment in the workplace, they actually have a positive duty to do something about it. The first thing that needs to be done is those allegations need to be investigated. So an employer has to put their investigator cap on or listen, ideally hire a, a third party private investigator, someone that's kind of independent and outside of the company to come in and investigate. That's that's actually the, uh, the, the primary way to do it. Uh, but otherwise, investigate uh, the matter, uh, get as as much information as possible with respect to what actually happened, who said what, who did what, how did it all go down, and then with that information, with the results of that investigation, make a decision with respect to uh, uh, what solution could be implemented to resolve the harassment complaint, whether that's reprimanding an employee or uh, you know, splitting employees into two separate uh, work uh, work areas so that they don't interact. Any kind of resolution. I mean, if it's serious enough, even terminating potentially an employee uh, who did something wrong in in the workplace. Something needs to be done in a case like that. Uh, and employers, oftentimes, and we see this with large multinational corporations, John. Employers oftentimes will try and bury these kinds of incidents and try and resolve them or just, to be honest, close their eyes and hope that it goes away. And that's not the right way to deal with these situations. The second important protection when it comes to an employer's obligations is that an employer has the obligation to maintain a healthy and safe work environment. And so, again, along with you know being uh, having the obligation to investigate workplace harassment, they also have the obligation to investigate and correct unsafe workplaces and especially with COVID-19 and the current state of affairs Mm -hmm. employers do have a duty they do have an obligation to make sure that their employees are as safe as possible whether that means you know uh, using masks in the workplace or other protective equipment and maintaining a cleanly workplace social distancing all of that stuff that's something that an employer has to be very acutely aware of in making sure that they are abiding by their obligations by their legal requirements as employers. 
The number is 613-521-TALK. You still have time, uh, plenty of time to call in, ask your questions on this radio show. We'll get to Tracy, who's been standing by patiently. Hi, Tracy. Good evening. How are you? Hello. Uh, yes, thank you very much for taking my call. You bet. I've got a cu- couple of questions uh, concerning my husband works for a Crown Corporation in Ottawa, and he is 65 years old with high blood pressure. Uh, the week after they told all seniors to go home and isolate, he came, went home. He, his employer, the Crown Corporation, told him he was to use all of his holidays uh, otherwise, he wouldn't be paid. So this is someone who's worked for the company for 25 years. Uh, now his holidays are all up, and they're telling him he has to come back to work, which he has. There is no social distancing. There is uh, supervisors are leaving halfway through the day. The tension is terrible. He's got extremely high blood pressure. I don't know what to do now. Mm-hmm. The union mm-hmm. is not even helping. So uh, to answer your first question, Tracy, it is uh, legal for an employer uh, to require an employee to take vacation time at, at certain periods of time. So the fact that the uh, that the employer, whether they're a crown corporation or not, or you know, even whether your husband is, or, or, or whether an employee rather is unionized or not, an employer does have the option of saying, "Hey, we're not going to have you working during this time, so you you have to use your vacation pay." So that that is perfectly legitimate, as uncomfortable as that may may feel, because of course you might want to save some vacation time for a future period it is perfectly legal and, and there's very little an employee can do about a situation like that so i think the vacation pay is is a non-issue effectively i don't think there's anything to pursue uh there now as far as the current workplace goes and, and as i was just saying i mean your question is is timely tracy if your husband is concerned about the workplace, if he feels as though uh, you know they're, they're, the measures being followed are not strict enough, or, or he's putting himself in jeopardy uh, given the procedures and policies that are in place, he absolutely has the right uh, to refuse unsafe work. Uh, listen, as long as it's as long as it's justified. So, for example, it, you mentioned social distancing. If if your his employer is not following following those social distancing policies in the workplace, and your husband could give very clear examples of that, that is a problem for an employer. That is something that an employee can stand up and say, "Hold on a sec, here, guys. I'm not going to go into this work area, or I'm not able to do this specific work if we're not following the social distancing uh, uh, protocols." And the employer, again, Crown Corporation or not cannot punish your husband for that uh, reason because he's refusing to do unsafe uh, work again within reason and we want to make sure that we're not you know we're not exaggerating or nitpicking at every single little minor issue but uh, you know a matter like social distancing is a crucial issue uh, that that's been mandated by our public health officials it's it's easy to implement and should be done and so there's no question really when it comes to that specific issue if your husband is concerned about the work environment, if he's if he's too anxious, if he's too stressed, and you mentioned he has high blood pressure, very high blood pressure, then he might want to speak to his doctor about taking a medical leave of absence. That's potentially an option here. Uh, alternatively, because he's unionized, there's not much more than can be done beyond speaking to the union and seeing if there's some sort of resolution process or mechanism that he can go through through the union. 
as you mentioned, Tracy, it's not going to be union. Union, or it's not going to be easy. Rather, unions are not particularly crazy about you know pursuing issues like this. They're not the easiest organizations to deal with. Sometimes it's better, quite frankly, to be not unionized in these kinds of situations. But it's either a medical leave or filing a grievance or taking it up with with the union. Those really become the only options in a situation like that. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Appreciate uh, your time, Tracy. Enjoy the rest of your evening. For you to call through, you still got some time. Here it is, 613-521-TALK, just like Tracy did. You want to reach out through email? It is help at employmentlawyer.ca. The conversation is what employers should never do. We'll get to one more here before the break, and that is, you know, employers should never fire an employee while they're on a medical leave or maternity leave. Don't mess with mama. Don't mess with mama. That's right, uh, John. It's uh, it's the motto of our show. It's on our coffee cups here at <laughs> here at our our office. And and listen, jokes aside, it's it's absolutely true that it's it's very very dangerous for an employer to let an employee go who's off on a medical leave of absence or on a maternity leave. Um, you know, you're you're asking for trouble in the sense that almost immediately those employees are going to think. Uh, that that the terminations are tied to their situ- situations, that they're yeah. tied to the medical leave, or that they're tied to the maternity leave, and so as an employer, even if you're in a situ a legitimate situation where maybe for entirely some other reason, right, so a reason unrelated to the medical leave or unrelated to maternity leave, you have to let this employee go. You have to make that crystal crystal clear to the uh, uh, to the employee. If even one percent of the reason for letting an employee go is is because of a medical leave or because of a parental leave or a maternity leave, that is discrimination under the Human Rights Code. And not only will you owe that employee lots of severance, you're all gonna you're also gonna owe them additional amounts uh, for the way in which they were treated, for the way in which they were terminated. So you have to check all your boxes in a situation like that and make sure that you can tie the termination very specifically to an unrelated reason, whether it's the elimination of a position or the closure of a department. In cases like that, you may be able to let those employees uh, go. But again, you have to have that evidence. You have to make sure that that reason is clear to the employee and and it has to be done in a very delicate, delicate way again because right. because an employee will automatically think that they are being singled out because of their specific circumstances. We'll take uh, one more short break here. It's time for you to grab a phone, make a phone call, get some answers. 613-521-TALK is the way to do that. Then we'll bounce down to some emails, help at employmentlawyer.ca. It's the Employment Law Show, and this is News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to the Employment Law Show with employment lawyer Alex Luchafero on News Talk 580 CFRA. A few minutes to go here at uh, 7.50. We're here till uh, just before 8 o'clock. You want to call through, ask a question. Now would be the time to pick up a phone and do so. 613-521-TALK. Other than that, what employer should never do? Next point is this. An employer should never misclassify an employee as an independent contractor. Yeah, and this is one that we see often, uh, uh, John, and, and oftentimes it's employers reaching out to us uh, and, and we're kind of left to have to pick up the pieces after uh, an, an employer has 
let an independent contractor, quote-unquote, go, when in fact the, the contractor was an employee, and now that contractor is asking for severance, they're asking for, uh, you know, vacation pay, and, and all of this stuff as an employee, and, and we're having to advise employers that, well, listen, despite the fact that you called this person an independent contractor, mm -hmm. and even despite the fact that this person once upon a time agreed that they were an independent contractor, ultimately what... Uh, what you call yourselves, whether an employer and an independent contractor call themselves contractors or dependent contractors or whatever the case may be, that doesn't ultimately matter. You will ultimately have to look at the substance of the relationship to determine whether this is truly a contractor relationship or an employment relationship. And almost always, John, when we deal with these matters on behalf of employers, the reality is that it's going to be an employment relationship. If you're giving instructions to the employee, if they're showing up to work on a regular basis and have a regular schedule, if you're giving that person the tools that they need to perform the job, if they're holding themselves out as a representative of the company, that person is going to be found to be an employee. And the reason why, you know, this is called what employers should never do is because calling an employee an independent contractor ends up being such a costly mistake. You think you're saving as an employer, as a company, you think you're saving money by calling this person an independent contractor, not having to pay the income tax, not having, not having to contribute, yeah. I don't know, whatever the case may be, benefits or EI or CPP, any kind of initial savings comes back to haunt an employer if this person is truly an employee. Because again, that, that contractor, quote unquote, that employee in reality is going to be owed severance. They're going to be owed regular wages that an employee would be owed. They're going to be owed vacation pay. All of these things come out of the woodwork at the last minute. And again, it ends up costing the employer tenfold to have to deal with a problem like that. So the solution is, and what employees employers should be doing is, listen, call a spade a spade. And don't be shy to call a spade a spade. If you're dealing with an employment relationship, truly, uh, then call it an employment relationship. Uh, be honest and truthful and upfront about what you're doing here rather than si trying to save a buck or two on, on income tax and CPP and NEI. Have proper employment contracts. Those contracts will protect you more than calling the person independent contractor right. uh, will. You can limit an employee severance entitlements with a contract. You can uh, you can uh, reserve the right to change their responsibilities and their duties contractually. You can insert temporary layoff clauses, as we discussed at the start of the show, into an employment contract, allowing an employer to temporarily lay off an employee. All of these can be done if you have proper legal advice. Again, if you call a spade a spade and call the person an employee and have a proper contract that's going to benefit you as an employer rather than going in blindly and having to deal with the mess at the end of the relationship once there's a dispute on the table. Last one for this list tonight will be this, what employers should never do. An employer should never terminate an employee for cause if you haven't built up a case yet. Yeah, that's right. So we're talking about just cause for termination here, which which is reserved for the worst of the worst kind of offenses uh, when it comes to terminations and when it comes to employment law. And what that means when an employer actually does have cause for termination is when an employee has done something so terribly wrong, so kind of drastically against or contrary to the terms of the employment relationship that the employer is allowed to say, you know what, you, you've acted in such a terrible way, we're allowed to end this relationship on the spot without any further pay, without any severance whatsoever. You're paid up, into your, up until you're the, you know, the 
last moment that you worked, and that's all you get. No notice, no severance, uh, anything. And again, employers very often uh, allege cause. I actually saw this today, John. I mean, this is how common this is. They allege cause in situations that could not be further from a, an actual for-cause uh, a termination and it's opening up a can of worms. Uh, you're now asking, you know, you're you're incentivizing that employee to go after not only additional severance because they're owed a proper severance package in a case like that, uh, but you're also opening up the door to that employee being able to get additional damages again for the way in which they've been treated. Uh, and so again, you might have to actually pay out of pocket as an employer more than you ever thought you would. Wow. Because you made the error of, you know, as we say, pulling the trigger too quickly, uh, meaning making a just cause termination before you have established some sort of record of discipline and of progressive discipline. Meaning, listen, if you're dealing with a difficult employer, that happens, right? It happens in every workplace. No one's perfect. No one's an angel. But you cannot simply jump to termination for cause. You have to build a record against an employee perhaps with an initial warning, then a second warning, perhaps then a suspension, uh, and progressively increase the severity of the discipline. And if an employee cannot improve in the face of those increasing warnings, then termination for cause becomes an option after you've exercised that disciplinary policy. But without all of those previous steps, John, good luck as an employer terminating employer for cause on the basis of one incident that employee would have had to do something really really terribly wrong and we're talking about the worst of the worst offenses uh, in terms of physical violence and 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 or abuse in the workplace in order uh, to meet the just cause or you know fraud for example is another example that we often give those kinds of terrible offenses might be one off just cause or for cause terminations other than that you're going to have to institute a disciplinary policy, and again, employers very oftentimes get that kind of stuff wrong. Or you, I guess, you would have the option of of letting them go without cause, in which place you, you're back to pulling uh, to paying full termination, full severance pay at that point, right? That, that's right, and and that actually becomes the cheaper option. Again, even if you don't right. like an employee, if they're having, if they're giving you difficulties, let that employee go without cause, pay them their proper severance. It's going to be cheaper taking that option than alleging, uh, than uh, than uh, illegitimately alleging cause for termination and ending yeah. to ending up having to pay that employee not only severance but then some, but even more damages again because you got it wrong because of, because of the illegitimate way in which you terminated that employee's employment. I guess you can also do part notice, part termination if you can if you can tolerate to have them around that long. If they're not too much of a you know a poison in the workplace, give them some notice plus some termination. There's a combination. Employers have options, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. can absolutely provide provide part of an employee's severance entitlements as actual working notice. And listen, if you're dealing with a with a valuable employee uh, who actually provides value to the workplace, that's great. You can actually save yourself some money as an employer uh, right. by giving proper working notice of termination. But if you are dealing Dealing with a bit of a difficult employee or someone who you're, you know, you're worried might actually uh, kind of decrease their productivity or, or even kind of poison the well, so to speak, with respect to the workplace, you probably do want to let them go mm-hmm. uh, kind of effective immediately and pay them a severance package in lieu of that notice. 
We are done. You want to reach out now? Do so. Alex, standing by anytime. Call this number, 1-855-821-5900. You can always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's like having an employment lawyer on your phone at all times, absolutely free and anonymous. There's also a way to reach out from the pocketemploymentlawyer.ca website. And, of course, the email address we use, help at employmentlawyer.ca. This has been the Employment Law Show on News Talk 580 CFRA.